Okay. So, you know the last few weeks we've been studying in the letter to the church at Colossae that Paul wrote. And this is going to be our last lesson in Colossians. Uh, and we'll have a good send-off today. And then next week uh, we'll begin a lesson, in, we'll begin a study of the letter to the Ephesians. Of course, there's going to be a lot of similarities. If, you, if you've noticed, we've been referring back to Ephesians several times as we've been studying Colossians. So I think it'll be a good study. It'll be a good segue from Colossians to move right into Ephesians. And uh, we'll have a lot of good study there. It is a little bit longer uh, letter, obviously, so we'll, we'll probably have uh, spent a few more weeks than we have in Colossians. But I think it'll be a wonderful study, and I look forward to going through it with you all, and I hope you are too. If you've been with us the whole time, you, you know that uh, we've, we've talked a lot about the theme of the letter to the Church of Colossae and how Paul wrote the letter on the basis, basically, of his brother Epaphras, or perhaps, or, or others who had told him about the brethren that were meeting there in Colossae. He, he most likely had not been there to help establish that congregation, that church that was meeting in that city. But he had learned of their great faith, he had learned of their great love for the Lord, and he had stressed throughout that they continue to remember the all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ, the preeminent Savior. In fact, if you'll turn over to Colossians chapter 2, let's read a couple of verses just to remember what he has. Actually, Colossians chapter 1, I want to read uh, beginning in verse 24 there. As he's, he's addressing those who are at Colossians. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. You see, Paul's saying, you, the Gentiles, have now discovered the mystery, right? The mystery that was revealed through the life of Jesus Christ that he and others have now preached to you. And now he is striving to make them perfect in Christ, to become complete in Christ. And what we mean by there is to grow, have that growth spiritually where we are mature, not needing milk anymore, but eating the meat, right? And that can apply to us today. That's a wonderful thing that we can take from this letter to say we need to be growing in Christ, becoming perfect in Christ. After all, if you're not growing, what are you doing? You're, you're withering. You're dying, right? We want to continue to be growing in Christ. It's not just you're baptized and you're done, right? It's a lifetime of growth, lifetime of study, lifetime of being in prayer. We talked a lot about that last week, right? A lifetime of service. Remember we said, raised to the newness of life, Romans 6, in the likeness that he did when he was buried. We are buried with him in baptism, raised to the newness of life. We are set apart, sanctified for good works. So it's not about us anymore. It's not about what we can do. It's what his will is, right? And that's part of that prayer life that we talked about, trying to know 
what his will is for us. To be complete in Christ, perfect in Christ, is certainly the goal, right? Just as Paul talks about here in this letter. It's the goal for every Christian. But does that mean that all of us who are in Christ are going to look exactly alike? Are we going to, once we grow, once we are complete, which we never really are, right? We're always imperfect. We're always striving to get there, right? Are we all going to be the same? Are we all going to look alike when it comes to being disciples of Christ? Sure, we're trying to live a life like Christ, and in that respect we are, right? We're trying to live a perfect life. We're not going to, but we're trying to be like Christ. But does that mean each and every person is the same? No, it does not. Should we expect every mature Christian to be duplicates of one another in their ability and their service? No, of course not. Remember, we all have God-given talent. That's very scriptural. We have spiritual gifts, God-given talent, and we are to use these in the service of the kingdom, right? Reading Paul's comments about some people that we're going to read about here in a moment, uh, at the end of this letter, can remind us of how this plays out. You see, we're not all, we're not all preachers, we're not all gifted to speak, we're not all gifted teachers, but we can do other things. We have other gifts, we have other talents. Perhaps it's nurturing, perhaps it's uh, writing, perhaps it's uh, going out and, and, and bringing food or helping someone in need. All those things that people have talent and have gifts to do, we are to use those in the kingdom. Not everybody's the same. We're going to come to this last section of the book of Colossians. And, you know, you, at the end of the letter, you have a lot of mentions of folks that are with Paul. And you have a, 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 a goodbye, perhaps. And we kind of tend to gloss over that a little bit, don't we? Or at the salutation sometimes, you know, well, Paul begins his letters very eloquently, right? And we tend to kind of, eh, maybe ignore that a little bit. Because that's not really the, the meat, right? That's kind of the peel of the potato, isn't it? we got to get the pill off so we can see the meat, right? But I want us to look at the end of Colossians and see what he has to say today. I think we can learn a lot of lessons from that. There are some important lessons we can glean from these verses, and we're going to be reminded about how every Christian has something to do, how every Christian has some kind of gift, how every Christian needs to find out what that gift is, needs to get that, know what they can do through prayer, through reading of the word, and put it into practice. Let's read Colossians 4. Turn over there, and let's read that last section and see what, what Paul had to say there at the end of this letter. He says in verse 7, Colossians 4, verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who was one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Then Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. 
Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Okay, we have many people mentioned here that Paul describes. Some with him, some he's referring to in Colossae. And it's interesting how this letter, we still have this today, right? It's been preserved for us. And it's an important ending to a letter. It can be a great example for us. Here we have this fellow named Tychicus. Turn over to Acts chapter 20, and let's read something about these guys from Acts chapter 20. And you might even put a marker in Acts. We're going to be referring back to Acts several times. Acts chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. And now when he had gone over that region, encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return from Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus, and Secondus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Here we have mention of several people, and I wanted you to pay attention to Tychicus there. He was mentioned in Acts, as well as Colossians. Interesting. He says he's a fellow servant of the Lord. He had gone on, right, to Troas, ahead of them. We read of him in a couple other places. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's see what was said about him there. Ephesians chapter 6, around verse, uh, let's look, 21. Ephesians 6, 21, he says, But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, that he may comfort your hearts. Interesting, right? Interesting that this fellow seems to be going ahead of Paul to bring news to them, right, about Paul. He's a messenger. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. Let's see what was said there. Titus chapter 3. Uh, let's go with verse 12. When, when I sent Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. And then back to 2 Timothy. Just turn back there. One letter there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And you can put a mark in here because we're going to come back to this a couple of times. Chapter 4, uh, verse 12. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And then bring the cloak that I have left with the carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. We have this gentleman who was serving Paul, serving in the kingdom, mentioned several times. Did you know that Tychicus was mentioned that much in the New Testament? Have you ever even thought about that? There's four times that he's mentioned in the New Testament. Interesting, right? He must have been a pretty big helper to Paul, all right? He's a messenger. He's going ahead. He's bringing them news of things to come. 2 Corinthians 8, we'll turn over there real quick. And... 
see what that says. And this is this is not going to mention the name, but it's probably about you know who. Beginning in verse 22, and it says, And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Tychicus was a messenger. He had a particular gift of being able to bring the message ahead for Paul. He was great service to Paul. We also have mentioned there in verse 9 of Onesimus, right? We all know if you've studied Philemon who Onesimus was, right? Who was Onesimus? He was a slave, right? Who had escaped, apparently, and met up with Paul and been converted, right? Because the whole letter of Philemon is Paul sending a letter back with Onesimus as he's going back to Philemon to asking him to forgive his leaving and Bring him, bring him back. He's a great servant. It says Onesimus was faithful and beloved brother. He's there with Paul. He's one of those perhaps messengers along with Tychicus. So here we have two men that are serving a purpose in the kingdom, serving Paul, perhaps not as eloquent or as, as a, a greater preacher as Paul is perhaps, but they have a gift, a certain gift certain service that they are bringing to the kingdom. And of course, this is helping to spread the gospel, right? This is helping to grow the kingdom here on earth. Then we have a couple other guys mentioned. Go back to Acts 20. I want to read it one more time so we can remind ourselves. I'm going to read verse 4. He says, And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus, and Secondus of the Thessalonians. Okay. Then in Acts 19, I want you to move, uh, actually... Let's go back, yeah, one chapter. And I want to read something else about him. Acts 22, Acts, uh, 19, verse 28. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Remember, Diana is the, one of the idols that they had there. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. Oh, so Aristarchus apparently had been seized by those who were worshippers of Diana. Apparently they had a riot or something going on there, right? And Aristarchus may have almost lost his life in the service of Paul, in the service of the kingdom. Paul mentions him as a fellow traveler who nearly lost his life in this riot. And then turn over to Acts 27. Let's see something else that's said about Aristarchus. And I know we're bouncing around here, but I want you to see this stuff, because this is stuff that we don't necessarily look into too much, do we? Acts 27 and verse 1. He says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonia, Thessalonica was with us. So apparently Aristarchus went to Rome with Paul. Interesting, right? Then we have another fellow mentioned in verse 10. And his name is Mark. In fact, this is the Mark who wrote the Gospel 
called Mark. Right? Interesting, right? Turn over to Acts again. Let's go back to chapter 12. And let's read about old Mark. And I know many of you know what I'm referring to, the story here. But let's look in Acts chapter 12 and let's read about it. Let's go to verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And so when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Apparently, John Mark's mother's house was being used as a place of worship or a place to get together, just like we have here, right? Turn over to Acts 13, and let's begin right there in verse 1. Interesting story here. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So Paul and Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas are going to be going away to preach. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. This is John Mark, their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Eomus, the sorcerer, for his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking something to lead him by the hand, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw that had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Pergia and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So here we have John Mark, or Mark, who had been involved with their ministry, had seen some things happen here that are very interesting. Man be turning blind because of his unbelief. And then he decides, I'm going back home. Interesting, right? Now I'll turn over to Acts 15 and see another part of this interesting story. Acts 15, verse 36. <clears throat> then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Interesting. This is getting to be like a movie here, right? Then, notice this next verse, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Hmm. <laughs> and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. 
But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Interesting, right? Here we have John Mark, whose mother was allowing them to use her house to worship in, to pray in, and he decided, I want to be part of this, and went out with Barnabas and Saul. And I don't know, may, maybe he's a little young at the time. I don't know, maybe he gets involved in some heavy stuff there, and he's thinking, eh, mama's cooking sure was good back home, right? I sure miss my old home place. I don't want to do this anymore. And he goes home. Apparently, after some time passed, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go out again. Paul wants to go check out the churches again, make sure everybody's in okay. And Barnabas has been hanging out with John Mark a little bit, perhaps. And maybe, you know who Barnabas was. He was, what, the great encourager. Maybe he's been doing some encouragement, right? Maybe he's been mentoring a little bit, right? And he says, I want John Mark to go with us. And Paul says, <laughs> not so fast. You remember how he left us back there in Pamphylia? I don't think so. He's not ready to bring him in. So much so that it caused some contention between them. By the way, do brothers and sisters ever have contention between them? <laughs> but they did not stop the work. Sure, they couldn't go together. They had to be separate, take different people with them. But they continued to preach the gospel. Interesting story. But guess what? We're not done yet. Turn over there to 2 Timothy. You may have a marker there since we already read that once. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's see what Paul is saying to Timothy there. Let's go back to verse 9. Well, not verse 9 yet. Hold on. Got something there I don't want to read yet. Let's go to verse... Uh, I guess let's go to verse 11. And this is Paul talking, to, writing to Timothy, asking him about stuff, and mentoring him basically. He says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. Now, who, who wrote that? Did Barnabas write that? No, this is Paul writing this. Something's happened since. Acts 15, and now when he's writing Timothy, Mark's in good graces with Paul. Interesting. You see, perhaps Mark, John Mark went out with Barnabas and decided, I'm going to serve. I'm going to work hard. I now realize I want to be part of this kingdom. I want to be part of the work. I want to preach the gospel. And Paul has heard the news about him. Paul knows about him. In fact, Perhaps he's already been a comfort to Paul in other places. He says, he is a great comfort to me. He has become someone I can, that can help me, I can use, I can be a brother with in this cause. You see, Paul went through a lot, right? Not he was, you know, he had many stripes to prove that he'd been hit a few times, he'd been imprisoned, 
You've been shipwrecked. You've been in peril many times for the great cause. He needed people. He needed brothers, sisters with him, encouragers, comforters, just like us. Just like us. He couldn't do it alone. Not possible. He had to have others. And that's what we're talking about today. That second string, right? That good bench, right? Braves won the World Series this year. I don't know if you know who Jock Peterson was, but in one of those series, he came off the bench and hit two homers. Hadn't done that, they probably wouldn't have won the World Series. It takes more than just a preacher to spread the gospel. Got to have a good bench. Mark, apparently, at one time, was not so into it, enough so that Paul didn't think much of him. But then he got his act together, got back to work, perhaps for some encouragement from Barnabas. And Paul saw that the work he had done, and he became a great comforter, a great assistant to him. You see, just because someone not getting it done doesn't mean that's the end of the story, right? We still have time as long as we're here to serve. Have that, let that be a great example to you. I know most of you know that story, but it's always been one that's I've thought is a wonderful story. Here we have this guy who could have left. He could have been done with it but ends up writing a gospel about Jesus Christ. Fascinating. Then there's one mentioned, Jesus called Justice. Little's known about this guy, except that he was a Jew. He mentions that he was of the circumcision. And a fellow worker for the kingdom. He, too, was also a comfort to Paul. So here's a couple of guys, two or three guys here, who are comfort, comforters, assistants to Paul. Maybe not great preachers, maybe not great teachers, but they're willing to work in the kingdom, willing to serve, willing to be of great help to the ones who are out there in the front, like Paul or Barnabas, perhaps. He's got a great bench, great second string going on there. Nobody can produce what they're capable of producing without the right kind of encouragement, right? Without that support. We have that in our families, and we have that here as part of the church. Then there's another fellow here. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter 1. And just read about this guy. Beginning in verse uh, 7. Well, I can't find Okay, verse 7. As you have learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. There's that guy. We've talked about Epaphras a lot as we've studied Colossians. He was one of them, Paul says, this is probably the guy that delivered him the news about the brethren there. Talked about their great love for the Lord, their steadfast faith, their growth, their being made perfect, right? And 
he probably gave them news about the congregations in Laodicea and Hierapolis as well. Kind of a tri-city area there. He had learned of them, and he too was a fellow prisoner with Paul. That's probably how I learned about him. Turn over to Philemon. And let's read something from there. I can get over there. I should mark this one. Someone's got Philemon, read verse 23. <laughs> verse 23, yep. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Read, when he's writing a letter to Philemon about Onesimus, he mentions Epaphras, his fellow prisoner. So that's probably how Paul learned about brethren in Colossae. Epaphras, a man of prayer who could at least pray for the brethren. That's another thing we can do in the kingdom. We might not have a great gift to be an eloquent speaker, a great teacher, or anything like that, but we can pray just as Epaphras did. And by the way, as they were in prison, I would imagine they were praying 24-7. He prayed constantly. He prayed fervently. He prayed personally for you, he says, and he prayed with a goal in mind, if they may stay, stand perfect and complete in Christ. So just because someone doesn't have the ability to be a great speaker on the first team, they have something they can do. And then we have a couple men to end this section, and they're kind of a contrast a little bit. We have Luke, the beloved physician, if you'll turn over to Acts 16, let's read about that real quick. What's said about him. In fact, what he writes, actually. We know Luke wrote Acts, and he wrote the book of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, he was used by the Holy Spirit to write over half of the New Testament. You don't hear a lot about Luke other than what Paul mentions about him. But let's look at Acts 16 and just see how he writes. He says, in verse, in verse 10, he says, Now after he had seen the vision... Immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Interesting how Luke is writing here. He's referring to himself and Paul and others, not just one person. Look over in chapter 20. See what he says there. It says, verse 5, These men, going ahead, waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. And then in verse 20, chapter 27, he mentions the same thing. Luke is writing as it's him that's doing this, and he is. He's with Paul. There's not just one person. There are many there. They are going around together. And in 2 Timothy 4, we read that he was faithful to Paul till the end. And I want to contrast him to another fellow named Demas, who Paul mentions there. <clears throat> Turn back over to 2 Timothy, and hopefully you've kept that open. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and let's see what happened with Demas, beginning in verse 9. He says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. 
And then in verse 11 there, he says, only Luke is still with him. You see, Demas had been doing a good work. But apparently, he loved the world more. And so he left him. He fell away. It's an interesting verse. It's a warning as much as anything else, right? You need to stay faithful till the end, just as Luke had. You need to be aware of those, of Satan, of course, of those in the world who are trying to tempt us, trying to deceive us, trying to bring us back into the world, because it can happen very easily. Turn over to Revelation, chapter 2. Verse 10. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. This is the angel. He's writing to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. But be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Have a contrast here. Luke great physician, wrote over half the New Testament, stayed faithful to the end. It wasn't just Paul that suffered those things. We don't read anything about what happened to Luke, but he was there with him. So, powers of deduction, I'm sure it happened to him too. I'm sure he was imprisoned. I'm sure he was beaten. I'm sure he was probably shipwrecked too, right? But he remained faithful to the end, unlike demons. Anyone tells you that you're once saved, always saved, needs to read about Demas. Needs to read Revelation 2 about the church in Smyrna. The warnings that they got, right? You see, going through this today, show you some folks that Paul talks about here. We don't think about them so much when we're studying the New Testament, do we? It's all about Paul. Well, it's all about Jesus, of course. But when we're reading the letters, we're thinking about Paul, the guy that wrote them, right? But there's a lot of other folks sitting on the bench over there, well, I shouldn't say sitting, that are working on the bench in the background. Working hard, diligently, serving in the kingdom to make sure the gospel is spread. can't be done by one person alone. You gotta have messengers, you gotta have comforters, you gotta have prayer warriors, you gotta have people with a heart for service. I've said that a lot last few months, but it's true. You gotta be in the word, you gotta be in prayer, and you need to be to work. I hope I'll a lot of you have a wonderful week, wonderful next couple of weeks during the holiday time. I hope you're able to spend some time with family. But I would ask that you take this time to be refreshed, of course, but then be ready. Be ready at any, no, any given notice to serve in the kingdom. And if nothing else, if this year hasn't gone the way you hoped it had, okay, we can start anew, just like John Mark, right? 
We always have that time as long as we're here. So think about that. New Year time, resolutions are being made. Don't just make the resolution to lose weight, which you'll give up in two weeks. Make the resolution that you're going to serve God with all your heart, soul, and mind. All right.